Exodus chapter 10, then we'll go back to chapter 1 and we'll see a couple of things. But let's just read these first three, these verses, verses 21 to 23. Exodus 21, Exodus 10, sorry, verse 21. 10, 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thy hand toward heaven, that there may be, circle that next word, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a, was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all, but the last part is most important, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So from the start here, Egypt has an iron grip on God's people. Go back to chapter 1, Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 13. Exodus 1, 13. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. Uh, rigor is, is with, with, I mean, with pain and with emphasis. I mean, these guys weren't allowed to rest. Look in verse 14. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in the manner of service in the field, all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Uh, you ever heard somebody saying that was a rigorous exercise activity, okay? So they never were allowed to rest. They endured this um, bondage of slavery for 400 years it had progressively gotten worse. It was never ending. They were doing the will of a demon-possessed man named Pharaoh. They had no army. There's no way out of Egypt, only sorrow and blood and sweat and tears. But they did have one thing. They had a promise. So one day, God sends a single old man. He's an 80-year-old guy named Moses. To go to Pharaoh and to stand up to him and say to his face, let God's people go free. Now, that's bold. That's courage. What's funny is Pharaoh laughs. Look in chapter 2 and verse 23. Don't know if I read this one. Yes. Well, no, no, you don't have to go there. That was, I'm trying to keep my time here. Uh, Pharaoh laughs and says back to Moses, no way. No way, Jose. <laughs> I ain't letting him go. And as a matter of fact, he tightened his grip on these slaves even more. You know what God does? God begins to put pressure on Pharaoh and on all of Egypt. You forget that sometimes you and I can do nothing, but that never ties God's hands. God starts to put the pressure on Egypt one by one, nationwide. I'm talking about national, from, from edge to edge, all of Egypt began to experience plenty and disasters, unbelievable economic problems everywhere. None of them were, uh, none of these disasters were normal weather or, or uh, climate events. They were God's judgments. And they were God's judgment on a nation that refused to honor God's will. Isaiah 45 and verse 7 says this, I, God, I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. 
So here, when we talk about trouble in the world and things, you better remember there is somebody who is actually bringing trouble on this planet. And it's not the devil. So God begins to bring something. We call them the ten plagues. You might remember of them. First one he does is he turns water into blood. All the rivers, all the wells were poisoned by blood. It wasn't just red water. It was bloody water. They couldn't drink it. Uh, then after that, he sends frogs everywhere. As a matter of fact, it says that they, they would pull back the sheets and the frogs were in the bed. They'd get up in the morning, put the slippers on, and there were frogs in the slippers. Everywhere, the land was covered with frogs. Now, you think a cute little frog. Not when there's millions and millions and millions of them. They covered everything. Then after that, the dust became lice. I mean, just, and there's, what lady doesn't go and clean up the house? And a week later, she says, where does all this dust come from? Well, what if all that dust started moving? <laughs> and crawling across the table and across the mantle and across the bed he uh, uh, head and everything. And you saw there was lice everywhere. What a freaky, freaky thing. God wasn't finished yet. After that, he sent out a murrain. Now, a murrain is a deadly animal disease. Uh, it killed off most of the cattle. and Oh, the flies. I forgot about the flies. You can't forget the flies. Uh, it filled the air. They just It was just horrible. Then after that, there was the murrain, and it killed off the cattle. It was just awful. But after that, I'm not going to show a picture, but men and women got covered in boils. Everybody covered from head, it said, crown of their heads to the sole of their feet. There was an epidemic of a nationwide bacterial infection that covered everyone in boils. God wasn't finished yet. Then out of the sky began to fall hail. Now, hail is one thing, but when it's mixed with fire, it's another. They had never seen anything like it before, and it was burning everything up. None of this was natural. And then locusts. I mean, how does it get any worse? But billions and billions, it says the skies were darkened with locusts that came along and ate every green thing. All the grass, all the leaves of the trees were gone. How does, how does Pharaoh re respond to this? How do you respond to disaster after disaster? Well, when you meet Pharaoh and you read your Bible, you're reading one of the greatest books on psychology <laughs> and on the human heart and the human will. And uh, Pharaoh is a great study in the stubbornness of the human will and the stupidity. Watch, I want you to see Exodus chapter 4. Look in Exodus chapter 4. Free will was in full reaction, was in full action here. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 23. <clears throat> Look at verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, talking to Pharaoh, let my son, Israel, go that he may serve me, and if thou refuse to let him go. Notice, he says, you've got a choice here, buddy. If thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Look in chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 2. See, God offers Pharaoh the opportunity to yield. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 2. In verse 1, the Lord, uh, verse 1, it says, and the Lord God, sorry, and the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go, 
that they may serve me. And if thou, what's the next word? Huh. If thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. Look at chapter 9 and verse 2. <clears throat> Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses again, go unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. And For if thou refuse to let them go, and we'll hold them still. And he goes on, he says, that's when the cattle were going to be attacked and killed. Look in chapter 10 and verse 4. Just one more. Just showing you. God keeps saying, you better let them go or it's going to get worse. Don't refuse. If you refuse, this is coming. Look in chapter 10 and verse 4. Else, circle those words, if thou refuse to let my people. Does he have free will? He sure does. Now, God already knows he's not going to let him go. But don't confuse foreknowledge with the fact that God is saying you better make the right choice. You know why I preach? Not because I think God's already pre-selected you to heaven or hell. It's because I believe you have a choice. And my job is to try to convince you, don't make the wrong one. I'm like a guy, I'm at the end of a road here. It's nighttime, I've got a lantern, and the bridge is out. And a car is coming up real fast, and I'm waving real fast saying, stop, stop, the bridge is out. Now, you could be stupid enough to just keep on driving and die, but I hope you heed the warning. And so I'm out here doing what Moses did and saying, don't refuse. Did Pharaoh refuse? He sure did. Pharaoh had many different reactions to, uh, to the warnings of Moses. First of all, he mocks. I, we're not going to go through it over time. I think Exodus is a tremendous study of, of the human heart and stubbornness. And First thing Pharaoh does is when he hears Moses says, those are God's people and Jehovah wants them to go free. And there's, there's uh, Pharaoh up there on his throne. He says, who is Jehovah? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go free. Get out of my presence. He mocks at first. Then he ignores. Pharaoh sitting there doing his own thing. Moses would come in and get him out of here. I don't want to listen to this guy. And he would ignore the warning. Sounds like most people today. Then he procrastinates. I've met more procrastinators who'd say, tomorrow I'll get saved. Tomorrow, later on in my life, I'll start to live for God. That's Pharaoh. Pharaoh, actually, when the frogs were, were infesting everything, he calls for Moses and says, get in here, Moses, get rid of the frogs. And Moses says, now? And he says, no, um, tomorrow. <laughs> one more night. I'll just get one more night with the frogs. I mean, Pharaoh is, is dense, okay? But he doesn't want things to happen at that moment in his life. So he puts things off. He says, tomorrow I'll let you go. And so God says, no, no, no deal. Then he tries to negotiate, and he says, okay, some of you can go, but some of you got to stay can't do that later on he argues he says no you adults can go but i'm going to keep your children sounds like the government he says your children have to stay hmm you know none of them were the right response there is a right response when you got the pressure on you when trouble's coming at you in waves and god says are you going to give up you're going to give in you're going to let me win so there is something that happens next that was meant to get the attention of Pharaoh and of all the stubborn and proud Egyptians. Takes a moment. Darkness. A nightmare was about to take hold of all of Egypt, except for one small area. 
God was about to open the eyes of Pharaoh to just how much they needed to fear God. See, God was about to wrap things up. I want you to understand, in just a few days from this darkness, there was going to come a time where they were going to walk right out of Egypt and go to the promised land. And he was wrapping things up and going to take his people to their new home. And he was going to remind his people that they had something that they would never live in darkness again by. So darkness came. Darkness that had never been before. Now go to Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. Let's read those verses again. We're in, this is um, uh, plague number nine. And the Lord said unto Moses, it's time to stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be, what's that next word? That is a really crazy word. Verse 22, and Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Now, listen, if it's 8 o'clock at night, all right, no biggie. I mean, darkness happens naturally. But it's the middle of the day, and all of a sudden darkness comes. And they had already experienced the darkness of those locusts. But this was like nothing they had ever experienced before. A thick darkness, all the land of Egypt for three days. They saw not one another. They couldn't even see each other. Neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So he uses this term called thick darkness. I want to develop that for a moment here because what, what, what day is it? You might remember. They call it Halloween. Okay. And it's a dark time. I can tell you spiritually. It is a dark time uh, they're, they're, for a Christian. It is, it is the exact opposite of how we live. But this darkness is the kind of darkness that Hollywood would love to capture. But I want you to show you why it was thick. Go to Psalm 78. Hold your place for, for a moment. But Psalm 78, middle of your Bible, Psalms 78. Psalm 78, verse 44. And the writer is describing those 10 plagues, and listen to how he describes them. 78, 44, and he turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to the thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger. That's these judgments. Wrath and his indignation. And trouble by sending, what else? Evil angels among them. Now, I want you to understand, there are probably times in your life where you sat in your house and the lights were off and you felt like there was a presence there and it wasn't holy. And you may have a sense of an understanding of how they felt, but there's no way to feel it. Not if you're saved. But this sense here, the, the darkness that could be felt meant that the darkness was closing in on them, not just emotionally, but spiritually, and they could feel 
a darkness that was overwhelming them. Nothing they did could take away that darkness. Nothing could take away the fear, the horror of the darkness. Every time someone lit a fire, it would go out. Every time a lamp was lit, a light, it seemed would just, the, the darkness would swallow it up. No matter how many candles they lit, every place remained dark as pitch black dark. Nothing they did could take away that darkness. And it was for not one day, not for two. Now I know I've had, a, I've had nights where it seemed like the night went on forever and it was so hard and so dark. You ever had one of those nights? But then the, sun, the morning came, amen? But can you imagine going through a darkness that went on for 12 hours and you looked for the sun to rise and the sun didn't rise? And the moon gave no light and there were no stars and the darkness just clung and the darkness choked you and you went for 12 hours and you didn't know what time it was. And then it was night again and the long night went on and then for 12 more hours and then of, of a day and then 12 more hours, 72 hours, they couldn't get light. Now, mentally, I can only imagine what people were going through. They couldn't find each other. They couldn't walk to the toilet. They couldn't find the kitchen. The Bible says they didn't move because they were in fear of what was out there and what was going on. Do you know, um, uh, it, it, there have been times when I've been afraid and you just didn't want to move because there was danger all around you or whatever. But this kind of fear, isn't that what they make movies like? It's a funny thing. Is that something fun? That's the judgment of God. And it's a darkness that you hopefully, I hope you never, ever experience. If you're, if you're saved, you won't. But I want to give you an idea. There were sounds heard. There were screams heard. There were terror. I want you to understand. Think about you finally get the courage to get up and go to the toilet. And as you go, you touch something cold. <laughs> and, and it's like, ah, and somebody screams, not knowing that it's their grandmother. I don't know. And, and then grandmother screams, and then the kids start screaming. Can you imagine sitting, and all throughout Egypt, all you hear are screams and moaning because of the, the horror and the terror of that darkness. It's like being in hell for 72 hours. I hope you do realize hell has no light. The Bible says that there is fire there, but it is perfect heat it gives off no light it says that they that people uh, when 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 people go to hell they're cast out into what's called outer darkness they had 72 hours they experienced a taste of hell the screams there are other people there but you don't move you can't go find them you can't comfort one another 72 hours but there was one little area tiny little area that that darkness didn't affect. How many want to say you're, you're glad to be saved? You see, in all of Egypt, now Egypt ran all the way down here. Egypt was a huge empire. It had armies that spread across all of the Middle East. But Egypt here with the Nile going down, the most uh, fruitful area there called the Delta. Well, right up there at the Delta, it, we're... we're posh and wealthy and powerful people live. There's a small little circle of area where the Jews lived. Now they lived in camps. They lived in squalor. They lived in poverty. 
But that little area, out of the midst of all the surrounding area, had light in their dwellings. Now, how'd that happen? Did they have better candles? Hmm? Did they, did, were they smarter in making fires? No. In the midst of all that darkness, you need to just take a rest and go, God's people had light. Man. There's no crying heard in that land of Goshen. No weeping, no screaming in terror. Everyone had light there. They had joy. That means they sang, they praised God. They ate and they slept and they laughed and they lived free and they worshiped and prayed and praised God during those three long days and nights. Why? Because they had one thing that nobody else had. They had light. Not just physical light, but a light that broke through the darkness and filled every room and every heart. They didn't have the fear that the Egyptians had. Can I say that again? They did not have the fear that everyone else had. And I'm just going to jump ahead in my message. You should not be afraid like the rest of the world is. I mean, there are wise things you do, but there are no fearful things that you do. It was dark outside, but there was light in their homes. When they lit a fire, it burned bright, and everyone felt the light in the midst of that darkness. When they lit a lamp, it showed for 30 feet in every direction. And you know what's kind of funny? After those three days were through, Pharaoh calls for Moses. I can see Moses. It's still dark. And Moses got a lantern, and he's walking up to Pharaoh. And Can you imagine the, 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 the sand in the wound? I mean, just Pharaoh's in abstract terror. And here comes Moses whistling a happy tune coming into the presence of Pharaoh with a lamp that's not put out. That ninth plague reveals a great truth for us believers today. I want you to see things, and this is our message. Number one, God protects his people and sets them apart from all the judgments that come on this world. He sanctified us. That's what sanctified means. We've been set aside. Everything else comes along here. It's got a purpose. It's not an accident. But we've been protected. We've been put into a place it's called the cleft of the rock, or the song is where, where, where the wrath of God comes and we have fled to our place of safety. That doesn't mean they were saved from all trouble. <laughs> Remember, they were still slaves, weren't they? See, God didn't save them from trouble. He saved them from his wrath. Does that make sense? All of Israel, when, when the first um, um, plague came, all of Israel had to struggle with finding water just like everybody else because all the water was poisoned. They had to deal with some of the trouble there as well. Then when the, um, uh, um, I think the second one was um, frogs, was it? Or was it flies? I don't know. When the flies came along, um, look at chapter 8, verse 22. Go back a page. Look what happens here. 8.22. God makes a promise. Verse 21. Moses says to Pharaoh, else if thou will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and into thy houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever, watch that word, in that day, the land of Goshen 
in which my people dwell, and no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of all the earth. At that point, God says, now my people have had to go through some hard times, but when my judgment comes, you're going to see they don't, they don't experience what you're experiencing, Pharaoh. And I don't think Pharaoh noticed. I don't think Pharaoh cared. He's trying to battle flies everywhere, and it's just an awe. Can you imagine having this room full of flies? I mean, it, it, that's what he's battling. He didn't think about over there about 10 miles away in Goshen, all those people not having flies. Then the boils came. He didn't care about whether the uh, Israel had no boils and they had boils. Didn't care about the locusts. It was when the darkness came. that All of a sudden, I believe Pharaoh, all his heart started to notice, what's going on here? How come we're the only ones having trouble? Hmm. From that day forward, God's people have had light. Look at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. Start in verse 5. 14, 5. <clears throat> From that time, God's people had light. Still have it. Here's the point. They finally get free and they're headed out of Egypt and they're on their way. And as they go, they come to the Red Sea and God stops them on purpose and lets them sit there for a little while. <laughs> and look what happens back in Egypt, verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people now. Wow, I, he had actually decided, I'll let you go. No strings attached. But his heart turned back now to its hardness turned against the people and said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot. He took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over them, every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. What does that mean? Woo-hoo! They were praising God. They didn't think a second thought about Pharaoh coming after him. They're just praising God. Verse 9, but the Egyptians pursued after them. They had probably traveled about 50 miles, 40 or 50, three days journey, 20 miles a day. They had traveled out there, but these Egyptians are going to make up time in one day. They're going to catch up with them. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Pi-Hiroth before Baal Zephon, verse 10. Oh, no, go down to uh, verse 19. Watch what happens. Pharaoh shows up, terrifies Israel. They're screaming, saying, Moses, we're going to die. And Moses says these wonderful words. He says, stand still and see the salvation of our God. See what God's going to do. Now run down to verse 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed. He had been ahead of them. He removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and now stood behind Israel. And it came, to, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And watch what it says. It was a cloud and darkness to them. But that same cloud gave light by night to these so that, there came, so that they came not one near to the other. I uh, All that night. I want you to understand, even when they were out in the middle, they could. They had no time to light fires. They had no time to prepare to fight. They had no weapons. And so God said, 
I will be your light. But while God is our light, he's still darkness to Pharaoh. And God's trying to show them, you should never and you never have to live in darkness again now that you're saved. God will always give you light. Say, where do I get light? Go to Psalm 119. I'm going through a dark time right now, Brother Ledbetter. Understand. And I don't feel very good. I'm kind of no joy in my life. I understand all that. Open your Bible. Because I'm 119 and verse 105. You need some light? Other people may read the Bible and not get anything out of it. If you're saved, if you're saved, you'll get something. Look at verse 105. Thy word is a, what does a lamp do? <laughs> it illuminates. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Go back to Psalm 27. You say, I'm going through a dark time. That's what the Bible's for. I'll be real honest with you. Listen to me really carefully. Three quarters, if not four fifths of your Bible is written for times when it's dark, when it hurts. You, you, you read your Bible. If you read your Bible right now and you don't get anything out of it, it's because you're reading stuff that's there is for you when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. It's for when you're hurting and when the world is dark and you can't see beyond your feet. And that's when the Bible becomes real and you open it up and you go, now it means something to me. See, we're Westerners. We don't cling to every word. We glance at every word. If it doesn't jump out in multimedia, impress us. We're not, in, we're not into it. Don't read that way. That book was written for people who go through hard times. And it becomes light. Look at Psalm 27 in verse 1. The Lord is my light. Amen. And my salvation. Psalm 27, 1. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You need to memorize that verse. Next time, next time uh, you've got somebody trying to hurt you. So you've got somebody trying to take advantage of you. Maybe somebody has. Somebody's left you hurting. Somebody's said something, done something, just ruined your day. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the light of my life. Go over and over and over that verse. Show you two more, John 8. Gospel of John, chapter 8. John 8, verse 12. Wow. Do you know, in John 8, Jesus is just set free a woman who's caught in the act of adultery who should have been stoned and the darkness was coming at them. Everybody was just egging on the darkness of the judgment. And, and Jesus says, no, I don't condemn you either. I'm going to forgive you. Go and sin no more. And off she goes. What a great thing. And look at verse, the next verse after, after all of that, verse 12, then spake Jesus again to them saying, I am not the judgment. Judgment is coming, is it not? But before that judgment comes, he says, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness anymore. That woman, if she follows me, she won't ever have a desire to go back into the darkness again. Look at going, but shall have the light of life. Chapter 12, John 12 and verse 46.
I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not. Next word. You may have, you're going to have some dark times, but you won't live there. You won't abide in darkness. So let me ask you a question. Why do you think God's people were protected? 1 John 1, 5 says this. Go all the way to the right. I'll take you for time. We'll do this. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John now, all the way to the right, just for revelation. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. <clears throat> 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him. And we declare it unto you that God is what? He is light. I love that. And in him is no darkness at all. Say, boy, God seems to be really mean to me today. He has no darkness. When he does something in your life, it is only for good. It may hurt. <laughs> but in him is no, he has no ulterior motive. He has no hand behind his back with crossed fingers. He is real and he is good. He is light. Deuteronomy, back to the left, chapter 4. Two sets of scriptures here in Deuteronomy. First reason why God's people were protected is because they had God as their God. That sounds kind of obvious, but, you know, it matters <laughs> whether God is your God or not. Do you know the devils believe in God? You know that, don't you? They fear and tremble. Every time Jesus came around a demon-possessed man, those demons went ballistic, saying, Don't hurt us! Don't hurt us! They're terrified of Jesus Christ. Devils believe in God, and yet they're still going to hell, aren't they? So don't say, well, I believe in God. Well, there's about 12 inches from here to here. And a lot of people go to hell believing in God. You better make sure that he's your, that he's your God. Watch this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. In verse 35, 435. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Now, the, the, the Egyptians had all kinds of gods. They had the God of Ra. That's the sun god. Every time the sun rose up, they would always bow down and worship the sun. They were in praise of the power of the sun. They had the God of Osiris, which is the God of life and harvest. The God of Seth was the God of storms. Horus, the God of war. Isis, the God of magic. And he went on and on about a dozen different demonic gods. But you know, we've discovered that there is only one God, isn't there? And his name is Jehovah. And he has a son named Jesus who is equal. They are God. Yes, they're a trinity, but they are not three gods. They're one God. Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It blows everybody's mind. But let me say what's true about all this. You know, the Jews believed in one God. And as they, they sat there and they distrusted him, the one true God defeated the God of the sun, the, the Ra God, by overpowering the sun and keeping it dark for three days. Believe me, I, I believe all my heart. They got out there and they cried out to Ra, shine, give us light. And Ra never showed. 
God defeated the God of, of Osiris, he ruined every blade of grass that Osiris was supposed to be protecting him. Seth, well, God brought a storm that was greater than any storm that ever blown across Egypt with that hail and that fire burning everything up. Horus, <laughs> God of the army, yeah, right. God wiped out Egypt and their army could do nothing. Isis, you know, the magicians were able to mimic everything. Let's, let's, let's make frogs come up on the land. And so they waved their magic wand and frogs started jumping. They said, ha, ha, ha. All they did was mimic God. Then when the, the dust became lice, they said, we can't do it. This is the finger of the Hebrew God. You know, God defeated every God of the Egyptians in those 10 plagues. That's what the purpose of the plagues was to show there is no other God but him. The second reason. Because of God's grace. The only reason, listen, folks, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. I want you to understand, the only reason you and I can, can humble ourselves and cry out and ask Jesus to save us and forgive us is because God's saying, I'll let you. That's kindness. If God were like you and I, we would never give people a chance. We say, I'm fed up with you. It's over. I'm done. And God has grace. And God had grace toward his people. The only reason why you and I are still alive is because of God's grace. It's great. Uh, you're in Deuteronomy 4. Go to Deuteronomy 7. Look in verse 6. Don't ever, ever wake up in the heaven going, I am awesome. <laughs> God, you're so blessed to have me. I don't think anybody does that, but I'm talking about it in this room, but there are people who actually think they're God's gift to himself. Anyway, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee, speaking of the Jews, to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth. I've chosen you, he says, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. Now that's sort of strange. Why did the Lord love them? Because he loved them. You ask somebody, say, I'm in love. Why are you in love? I don't know. <laughs> that's real love. He's not. Well, because she's the most beautiful person in the world. Well, maybe she is. But that's not the reason why you fall in love. You fall in love because you chose to love that person. And God says, I loved you because I loved you. And because the Lord would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God loved them. And I'm telling you, you say, why was I born in Ireland? Why was I born in Texas? Why was somebody born over here? I don't know. God just had grace, brought you here, gave you the gospel. You got saved. Grace. Say, boy, I wish other people knew about this grace. That's what soul winning is. That's you telling people that there's, there's an open door to that grace. And there's one last reason. Because in the next plague, what was the last plague? Death. Death was coming, and a lamb was going to take their place. The, the best reason why God was protecting his people because the lamb of God was going to bear the wrath of God 
so the people of God could go free. That lamb is the key. It became the Passover. Now, those protections are available to everybody still today. You can choose the Lord God to be your God today. Instead of trying to be your own God, let the one true God be the God who decides your life, decides the chapters, the verses of your life. And you say, Lord, I just want to do your will. You, you can decide that God's grace and kindness is enough. If God is offering you, if Jesus says, I want you to come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. If he offers an invitation for you to come, why would you wait? That protection is available because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, died 2,000 years ago on the cross. And he took all the darkness. Remember how long it was on that cross? He was on that cross for about nine hours. And six hours of it was what? Darkness. He took the wrath. He took the darkness. He took the judgment. And then what was, what was it that he said at the end? It's finished. Whew, hallelujah. <laughs> Why would, he, why would he go through all that? To make it available to anybody who'd look unto him and be saved. Wouldn't you agree that only a fool would reject such light? The Bible says the fool walketh in darkness. Go to Joel chapter 2. Middle of your Bible is Psalms. You're going to have to go almost to Matthew and find Joel. Joel chapter 2. There's a day coming when it was, it's going to get very dark. Joel chapter 2. If you find Daniel, that you're almost there, Daniel, and then go right, and you'll find Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. You know, there's a darkness coming. It's going to make that darkness of Egypt look like Sunday morning. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. It's a warning sound. Sound an alarm in all my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of, verse 2, did you find it? Day of darkness, of gloominess, a day of clouds, and, here's our words, thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong are coming. They had not ever been ever the like neither shall any more after it even to the years of many generations the army's coming and we're going to be in it look at chapter 2 and verse 10 look at these words the earth shall quake before them the heavens shall tremble the sun and the moon shall be dark the stars shall withdraw their shining ah. and the lord shall utter his voice before his army for his camp is very great for he is strong that executeth his word for the day of the lord we call it armageddon is great and very terrible and who can abide it that's why god says in verse 12 look in verse 12 he says therefore also now saith the lord turn ye even to me with all your heart turn back to me better repent before it's too late so now, dear Christians, what are we supposed to do? Live and, own, and, and live and walk only in the light. If you're born again, you have been made free from that judgment that was poured out on all the rest that is, uh, on, on just like the Jews poured out on all of Egypt. You and I have been moved 
from the wrath and the condemnation of God into a place of family. <laughs> we're, we're in the family. I don't understand it there. So we've been made free. You're now separated into God. You're not part of this world anymore. You know, when somebody comes along and says, hey, we're going to the pub tonight. Let's go have a drink. You do not have to go. Wow, what will they say? Who cares? You're not part of this world anymore. Years ago, when I worked for the telephone company, every Christmas they came around with a shopping trolley full of bottles of wine. They gave wine to everybody for, for Christmas. It was a big deal. People were taking two, three bottles. Can I have three? They gave out. And I was the only one that I ever saw that said, no, thank you. I'm a Christian. I already have Christmas. I don't need that to make it any happier. But they would come by my cubicle and my co-worker there from Malta would he drink himself he would drink himself under the table but he'd always look at me as I turned away he says can I have his <laughs> you do not have to do what everybody else is doing we are separated under God it's called sanctification it's called the Christian life and you are special first Peter 2 9 says you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation of peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, when the world is absolutely going bonkers, we should be singing, not mocking them and going, ha ha, we're happy and you're not. That's not it. But that there ought to be a joy in your life where you're able to sing and everybody's going, what are they singing about? I would really like it that we got so comfortable with singing that people would pass by here and they'd stop going, what is going on in that room without drums, without the syncopated lights, just with joy? I don't care if it's dark everywhere else. There ought to be light here. There ought to be light in your home. There ought to be light wherever you are as a Christian. Didn't Jesus say he are the light of the world? You say, I'll wait till I go to church. No, you ought to be light now. And you're only here for a little while. Would you, would you stop and think? We parallel Israel for good reason. All of the Old Testament was there to give us examples for this life. And Israel is sitting there as the darkness is around them. They could hear the screams and the sorrow and the moaning and the, the terror. And they sat there. And I believe with all my heart, Moses said, pass the word. We're about out of here. This is the last. There's one more plague and we're gone. Don't be afraid. Let's sing. Let's have, let's have dinner. Let's rejoice because we're almost ready to go. And dear Christian, we're almost ready to go too. And we can't just walk out. Jesus is going to come get us. And when we're out of here, the world will get into darkness like they've never seen the wrath of God and all that stuff. Just, just, shouldn't we be living a little bit different than the world? If all of that is true. So draw a circle around your home and around your life and declare that you're going to have nothing to do with the darkness of this world now. Nothing. Not even in jest or for the fun of it. <laughs> John and I were down in Cork City the, on Friday. And on Friday, we saw lots of zombies and demons and skeletons. They were all adults. <laughs> See, it was all in good fun. I know it's all in good fun but not my kind of fun. We've got an activity tonight. Do not come as a skeleton. 
Don't come as a witch. Don't come as a zombie. I know you look like it, but don't act like it. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. We need some Christians who put on a circle around their home and say, we're not going to deal with darkness now. Look at chapter 5 and verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness back in our past, but now are you light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Walk like you're a child of the light. Verse 11. Have no, what's the next word? You should not get along with it. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. I can't go around reproving everybody else, but I'll reprove those who I have responsibility for, and I'll reprove myself when I'm messing around with things that are dark. Amen. Um, there's another one here. If I get to it here, look at chapter 4 and verse 27. One page back, 427. Neither give place to the devil. Oh, well, I'm just putting the jack-o'-lantern out on the front porch and just for the kids, and, and I just want them to laugh when they go by my house and, and laugh at my, my pumpkin all cut up here for fun. I tell you that, don't give place to the devil. That thing is not a sign of good. Don't give place to the devil. Don't give him any foothold in your life. Um... 1 Thessalonians 5.22 just says this, abstain from even all the appearance of evil. So you need to decide that I'm not going to fight with anger. That's dark. Bitterness, hatred, or revenge. You know what I will do? I instead will fight with prayer and with patience, and I will fight with a surrender to God's will. Israel had to wait on God. And did he give them the victory? Yes or no? And there's some times where you say, everybody else is getting ahead of me. Everybody else is doing better. Everybody else seems to be happier, and they're not. I will. I am going to decide. I'm not going to fight with 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 envy and with jealousy. I'm going to fight with patience. I'm going to trust God's going to do good and He's going to do right. And I will not fear. How can I fear? If He's my Savior, if He's my if He's my God, I will not fear what happens. So let me just finish with the thoughts. Do you love darkness? I know some people who do. We, we, we're sitting out there at the Peace Park on a, on a Friday, and, and people walk by us, and they are dark. I mean, they're dressed dark. <laughs> their makeup is dark. Their piercings and their tattoos are dark. Do you love darkness? Do you love watching horror movies filled with death and murder and blood and gore? Bet that Alec Baldwin there. Accident, pulls a gun, thinking this unloaded, shoots a woman on set there. The man behind her, holding her as she dies, and he's got real blood on his hand. It's not acting. There's no, there's, there's, there's no difference between reality and the fake. All of a sudden, in that moment, the blood and the gore is not something you want to be around. And yet people, they put it all over the television. It's all horror. It's all demonic. It's all dark doesn't belong in our homes. Amen. Egypt had darkness. They hated it. I hope you hate it. God is putting the pressure on this world again. Huh. Greta Thunberg. Do you know, do you realize, I'll go back here. 
do you realize she's talking about climate change? And, I, and she goes over there and she, every time she gets a picture, she's like this until she speaks. And then she's like, yeah. Greta, you haven't seen anything yet because climate change is a coming. And it won't be because of mankind. It'll be the judgment of God. Pestilence and disease. Oh, Mr. Fauci, Lord Fauci. He has no idea what he's messing with because whatever man can make in a test tube and release on the population's biological warfare, God can do awful worse, and he will. None of the disasters that we're starting to experience today are normal. Let me say this, are normal weather and climate events. I believe this stuff that's happening, the trouble in this world, is, is, I, know, I know George Soros has got his hand in this thing. Bill Gates got this hand in this thing. I know all the big weeks, but I don't worry about them. I worry about him who's wrapping things up and the trouble's coming. Only born again, Bible-leaving children of God are ready. We're safe. Now, I know some of us might get sick and die, and Christians do. But we don't fear. How can you fear? I mean, you say, well, what if somebody gets sick? We'll take care of them. We'll pray for them. We've had enough this week to keep us busy for a month, amen? There's been a lot of things we've been praying for lately, haven't we? And here we are, say, well, I thought they were saved. They're saved, yes, but they're safe. Those troubles aren't going to really, really affect them in the long run, is it? Doesn't even affect me. I sorrow when somebody goes through a hard time, but I also sing. Because it's only for a season. It's only for a little while before we're out of here. And there'll be no more sorrow then, no more death, no more sickness. Pharaoh had all the wrong reactions to the words of Moses and to the warnings of Moses, and it cost him everything. And I'm going to be honest with you, 99% of everyone who hears God's words mocks them. They mock them. Who is the Lord? That's what Pharaoh said. They may just ignore them. Weston's the only one that can get somebody to take the earmuffs off of them and start talking to them. We're trying to talk to people, and they're like this. And they got their earphones on. They got the headsets on. I mean, it's just they're just ignoring, ignoring everything. Then you get those who, I'm glad people come to church, but you know what they're going? Not today, preacher. Not today. I'll put up with the trouble a little bit longer. When I get a little older, I'll get right. I fear it's going to take the worst for some of you finally to get saved. What's it going to cost? Pharaoh had to lose his own son before he finally said, you win, God. I don't like that. I don't think anybody should ever have to go that far. How will you react today? I'm just going to ask you, don't wait. If you're not saved this morning, that darkness and that fear that you feel when you go home and the lights are out and there's nobody else around and you start to tremble and you say, why is this so scary? That's God trying to wake you up and say, you better fear me. That darkness is not all you have to worry about. Deal with the one who's coming hard on you to try to get you saved before it's too late. I told you once, maybe or twice before, about a man I knew before I ever got saved who gave the testimony how he ran from God, 
He mocked God. His wife was a godly Christian. And one Sunday he dropped her off at church and then he got out in his Cadillac and he went driving out in West Texas. And as he's driving, going around those bends and he got to just, he had his beer in the car with him and he's laughing at the fact his wife's in church sitting there stoic and not having any fun. And he's having all the fun out on the road. And he came around a bend and another car came up and he lost control and went over that edge and down and tumbled three, four, five times, broke his back. Didn't wake up till he's in the hospital in a complete body cast and his wife weeping beside him there. And the nurse coming in there and he was on a type of attraction there where she had to every couple hours flip him. <laughs> and, and they would, because the stress on his back was so hard and he was in there for like five, six weeks. And the only thing he had to look forward to was that nurse coming in and flipping him. So he would look down for a couple hours and he'd look up for a couple hours. And after about three or four days of that, and his wife said, I'm glad you're still alive. And he says, this is hell. And he finally said to his wife, call the pastor. We need to talk. <laughs> the pastor who had already witnessed to him and made fun, you know, and put up with all of his mocking of him, came down, sat down next to him. And he says, you, you, you want to talk? He says, yeah, I don't want to die and go to hell. I think God's got my attention. <laughs> What's it going to take before God gets yours? Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Father, here we are. And I pray that we would realize how blessed, if we're saved, how blessed we are. God, we have light. We don't have wealth. We don't have land of possessions we've got a land we're going to someday where we have mansions we have everything here we don't have much we got trouble but we have nothing like what the world's going through we have light why are we living like we have nothing and why are we thinking it's okay to live like darkness pray our families notice the difference i pray that we would put a draw a circle around our home and say i'm going to walk as a child of light now I'm going to live like your child, like, like somebody's in your family. I don't want to live like the devil's crowd anymore. And I want to just praise you and thank you because of that light. In the midst of this darkness, I will not fear anymore because you're with me. So, Lord, if there's somebody in this room, why don't they cry out right now and say, God, in the stillness of this moment, have mercy on me. I don't want to wait till it's over, till it's too late, because there's no second chances in hell. I think I'll trust Jesus Christ today. And if you want to get saved, you can talk to me or you can even do better. You can talk to God. Ask him to save you right now. He died for you. Buried, rose again, defeated everything. And he just says, follow me. Will you follow him? Dear Christian, that means for life. Let's follow him in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing, I Surrender All. <laughs>